as Hannah was saying, as you can see by the three candles that are up here right now, we are in the third week of Advent. In the third week of Advent, we talk about joy. We're doing a series called The Wait, and what we've talked about in this series is that Advent is a season of waiting. It's a season of promise where we um, are, are anticipating whatever hope that we have out ahead of us. And so we're waiting for that promise to arrive. We're waiting for specifically in Advent the promise of Jesus arriving. And what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks is that that's, that waiting season, that time of experiencing waiting for what God is doing is the primary place that God actually brings transformation in our lives. And so we've anchored our hearts in this great truth through this series, and that's this, that we have a promise that transforms our present. In other words, we have something, some hope that is ahead of us in Jesus, that no matter our circumstances that we are experiencing in the present, whether they be wonderful or whether they be utterly painful, we have a promise that is big enough to transform the way we see our present. Because all of us, every single person in here, religious or not, wherever you are on the spectrum, you have hope. You have something that's getting you out of bed. You may have a political hope. You may have relationship hopes. You may have family hopes, personal hopes, good things that you want that are ahead of you that is driving your present. And so in Advent, we learn to identify our hope and put it out ahead of us and to realize that the only ultimate hope that we have that can sustain us, that can transform our present is the promise of Jesus. And so in Advent, we slow down and we wait. We learn what God is doing in the waiting. And waiting is, as you know, hard. Is it not? Waiting is very hard because the longer you wait and the longer your circumstances don't change, the longer that the emotions and the feelings inside you, they don't subside, the, the easier it is in these seasons of waiting to grow bitter, to kind of get cold, to put on this facade of everything's all right, but on the inside, you know for a fact that you have checked out a long time ago. You see, we've talked about how the promise can transform our outward circumstances in the present, but at some point, the storms outside of us, no matter how extreme they are, cannot even come close to touching what the storms can do inside of us. Our thoughts, our emotions, our hurts, our questions. We can talk about how God transformed the circumstances, and He does. But how does he transform the way we see them that produces within us some things that sometimes aren't that healthy, some things that sometimes aren't that light and beautiful, the questions, the things we feel in these seasons of waiting? And it can be hard because Christmas is supposed to be happy, right? It's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> it's so wonderful. But it's not. And part of that tension that we usually feel this time of year is that we talk about joy in the supposed feeling that we're supposed to be just brimming with joy. But joy doesn't seem attainable where we are as we wait, as we experience these seasons of waiting. But joy is central to the Christian story. It's central to the Christmas story. And in Luke 2, we see this. In the announcement of Jesus, it culminates in 
joy. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, it says, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. And then an angel of the Lord stood there before him, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born to you who is the Messiah, the Lord. So not only is the arrival of Jesus, it's good news, but it's a good news with a substance. And that substance, what that good news is made of is great joy, according to the angels. And so if we're going to talk about what that joy that makes up this good news is, we need to understand what joy is. The dictionary defines joy as a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. And if you're going to define that as joy, then there's one thing that's clear about the Christmas story. If you believe in Jesus, you better be happy. Is that the experience that you have? I, I don't know. I remember a hymn that we used to sing when we were growing up. It went like this. is At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and the last line, and now I am happy all the day. Let me ask you, as people who follow Jesus, is that your experience? Has your experience been that now that you have put your faith in Jesus, you have absolutely nothing but happiness all day long? Is anyone like that? Good, we're all pagans and, and, and just dark people in here. I love that. I'm, I feel at home. No, that's not the experience that we should have. We should not think of joy as just this feeling of happiness, as if my worldview is blinded by some sort of subjective joy all the time. That's not the experience that, that they're talking about with joy. And if that understanding of joy is what you bring to the Christian faith, every time you feel any hint of sadness or pain, you have to start questioning, do I really believe? Do I have enough faith? And that's not good news. That's bad news. That's not the good news the angels came to, to talk about. In the, New, in the New Testament, the understanding we have to have of joy is something far different. The word we have for joy is the word kara. Say kara. Whew. You speak Greek now. Now, this is interesting because, because kara is a derivative of a different word that's, that's just as important in the, old, in, the, in the New Testament, and that's the word charis, and charis is the Greek word for grace, which is amazing. So in a very real sense, joy, joy is a derivative of grace. Joy is the outward expression of understanding the grace that we have received in Jesus. In a way, if, if, the, if life is a storm and, and grace is the bottom of the sea, then joy ends up being the anchor that holds us to the reality of God's grace in the midst of the storm. And that, friends, obviously, that kara grace is far more than happiness, because our culture is built on, as we say in our national documents, the pursuit of what? Happiness, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In our cultural mandate, our ruling philosophy above all things is 
If it makes you happy, do it. That's essentially the core foundational ethos of our culture. In fact, the only real sin in our culture is to do something that is contrary to what makes you happy in any given moment. But as the great philosopher Sheryl Crow once said, if it makes you happy, then why the blank are you so sad? There's kids in the room, I couldn't say the real word. It's deeply ironic that our happiness is so driven by, by, by our, our culture, and yet our culture is drowning in depression and anxiety, is it not? And yet we are the culture that pursues happiness at all costs. And there's some incredible research around this, uh, and scientific research. There's this book called The Hacking of the American Mind that, that Hannah was telling me about, because she's very well-read. Um, she's, she's very smart and well-read. It's by a guy named uh, Robert Lustig. There's a picture of the, the book here on the screen. And in this book, he talks about the difference between two important chemicals in our brain, dopamine and serotonin. And dopamine is, is that hit of pleasure you get when you, when, you, uh, when you eat chocolate or you go shopping or, or you scroll down on social media. It's that, that kind of real quick hit of, ah, that felt good. And so when you do that, you get dopamine, and when you like that, your body starts saying, well, I'd like some more of that dopamine. And this is actually where addiction comes from. It's, it's hitting that dopamine button so many times that your brain gets messed up. And this is the heart, really, of addiction. It's, it's a constant pursuit of a, of a dopamine hit. But serotonin, on the other hand, is it's called the chemical of contentment. And it doesn't come through substance or, or anything that works like dopamine. It's found in experiences, and it's found in people. And, and you, can, you can't overdose on serotonin, which is pretty incredible, but there, there is one way that you can make serotonin go down. Do you know what that is? Dopamine. So when you're actually going out and getting these hits of dopamine, when you're going out and trying to find temporal, temporary happiness, you're, you're inhibiting the thing that brings you actual contentment. This is what science is actually beginning us to tell us now, is that our pursuit of happiness is literally killing our joy. Scientifically proven that when we are always out seeking those little bit of dopamine hits, we are losing our sense of contentment internally. And just as a sidebar, really quickly, that's why as we gather in spaces like this, our number one goal is not to entertain you to the point of getting a dopamine hit. Because we need more than that. We need so much more than that. And see, everything in our culture right now is in an all-out pursuit to satisfy in us that dopamine hit, that, that quick fix of happiness, the politics, the social media. Do you know the reason why on your phone you have to pull down to get your social media to refresh? Do you know where they got that image from? A slot machine. And so every time you pull that image down, every time you pull it down, that is your brain getting rewarded with the dopamine through entertainment, technology, products, even church services sometimes. We want to create these dopamine hits, these temporary experiences of happiness that keep us coming back for more and for more and for more. But joy, 
Joy that comes from the good news of Jesus goes way deeper than that little bitty dopamine hit. It goes deeper than what we feel. It goes deeper than even our experiences in this. And so what that also means then is that joy can be present in our sadness and in our hurts and in our emotions because joy isn't dependent on what we feel isn't dependent on our emotions at any given point. Joy is dependent on something far deeper than that. And as we've said several times in this series, that Advent allows us the ability to be honest with how we feel about God, it means that we can say, yes, I am sad. I am hurting. I feel longing in this season of waiting. The book of Psalms is a perfect example of this. We see the word joy more in the book of Psalms than anywhere else in the Bible. And yet, the book of Psalms is one-third laments. If you don't know what laments are, they are prayers of complaining to God about how bad stuff is. That seems about right, doesn't it? Lots of joy. But a third of this book saying, God, I don't know where you are. I feel like you're not even here. So the Bible tells us very clearly in the scriptures that we have this paradoxical mix of sorrow and joy often at the same time in our lives. One of my favorite examples is this from Psalms 126. I love this. Verse 5 says, those who walk the fields to sow, casting their seeds in tears, will one day tread those same long rows, amazed by what's appeared. Those who weep as they walk and plant with sighs will return singing with joy when they bring home the harvest. Will there be tears? Yes. But as those tears are sown into the grounds of our hearts, we know that one day joy is coming in the morning. And all throughout Scripture, it becomes so abundantly clear that our joy, the joy we receive, is not dependent on whether we're happy, and it's not inhibited by whether we feel sorrow. Instead, joy transcends and transforms our emotions. Notice it doesn't ignore and denounce our emotions. It transcends and transforms them. It goes deeper than what we feel in order to transform the way that we do feel. And in the New Testament, the most common expression of this, the calling it gives us is this word rejoice. And rejoice means basically it's the verb form of joy. It's acting on joy. Express your joy. We're often told several times in the New Testament to act on your joy in the midst of suffering. Live out the joy that you've received when you are hurting. One example of this, Romans 5, Paul tells us not only that, but we rejoice, we act in joy in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. So how can we find joy in suffering? That's the question, and and the answer is, it's by understanding how God is building who we are in the midst of it. 
Now, it's not saying that God delights in our suffering because God does not delight in our suffering, but neither will he waste our suffering. Neither will he allow it to go as something that's ruined us, but bringing it together for our good. And all of us, I would say in here, maybe you don't, all of us would say, I want to grow, right? Do you want to grow? Do you want to grow spiritually? Do you want to grow as a person? The Bible tells us that we do so by patient, joyful endurance through our circumstances in a way that builds character which shapes the way we understand our hopes. And so if we are in a constant struggle for the next hit of happiness, for the next dopamine hit, so that we can numb ourselves from what we feel, so that we can avoid our hurts and avoid our pains, then we should not be surprised that we are spiritually stuck, that we feel spiritually dead. Because when we slow down and we're honest about our pain, we're honest about where we actually are and what God is doing through that pain where we are, we begin to see purpose in that pain. If you're not growing, I would ask, what are you doing with suffering? What are you doing with what hurts? Are you doing everything you can to push it down as far as you can and ignore it? Or are you inviting God into it to transform it? Speaking on that very passage, theologian Walter Wanger, and he says this, he says, the, the difference between shallow happiness and deep, sustaining joy is sorrow. Happiness lives where sorrow is not. When sorrow arrives, happiness dies. It can't stand pain. Joy, on the other hand, it rises from sorrow, and therefore it can withstand all grief. Joy, by the grace of God, is the transfiguration of suffering into endurance, and of endurance into character, and of character into hope, and the hope that has become our joy does not disappoint us. So in our seasons of waiting, friends, in our seasons of longing, when we are waiting for the painful experiences that we are living in to change, we may not see a change in our circumstances. We may not look out and see things change, but what we can change is the way that we see these circumstances, the way that we look at our pain and our suffering in the midst of seasons of waiting. When I think about this, I think about my friend Tony. Um, she got married to my friend Tyler. He plays bass in the band sometimes uh, a little over a year ago. And uh, Tony's colorblind, and the moment that, uh, that their first look at one another when they're taking those pictures, Tyler surprised her, really baller move on his part, with those glasses where you can see color for the first time. I don't know if you've seen these before. If you want just to cry your eyes out for hours and hours, there's videos, and I'm going to show you one just to give you a picture of what this is like. Just look at the joy as he sees something differently. Can you see with our eyes now, baby? Can you, what colors you see? Those. You see colors now? 
Now you have rose colored glasses, baby. Now you see with our eyes. Do you like the balloons? Turn around, what about the flowers in the house? <laughs> oh my goodness. It doesn't look like mud. <laughs> it looks like brighter mud. see who's crying. I held it back. I love that, man. It's, it's, what's amazing about it is that that, that old burly man, it's just the joy, just clapping like a child. Um, and the, the fact that the glasses that he put, not, put on did not change what he saw, but it changed the way he saw it. It changed the way he saw his reality. And that is as good a picture of joy as I can give you today. The miracle of not seeing our circumstances immediately change, but the miracle of I now, through the joy that's been given to me in Jesus, I see it so, so differently. The miracle of the Christian faith is not that God swoops in and changes everything to make us happy. The miracle is, is that he transforms the way we see every single circumstance. Joy doesn't change what we see, friends, but it does change how we see it. And that, in our seasons of pain and waiting, is our hope. That's the hope that's out before us. That's the promise that transforms the pain. And we see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus, his life was not without pain. There was lots of pain. In fact, Isaiah 53 calls him a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Jesus' life culminated with the most horrific, painful experience imaginable, death on the cross. And in the garden the night before, he's even agonizing it, but he, he turns his life over to the will of God, facing the suffering that he was called to endure. Why? Do you know why Jesus in spite of the pain that was ahead of him, do you know why? He went ahead to the cross. Hebrews 12 gives us the answer. It says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What led Jesus to the cross? What pushed him to endure this unimaginable suffering? It's clear here, joy did. 
a promise that transformed his present. Joy drove Jesus to the cross. And here's what's the most amazing thing about it. Do you know what that joy is? Do you know the joy that pushed him there? That joy was you. The promise that was transforming the present, the promise that would transform this horrible death into redemption was the promise of your life transformed, of his joy being your joy, of his resurrection being your resurrection. Jesus went to the cross with joy because of you, because of you. That's the hope that we stand in today. And as we face many of us suffering, many of us pain, many of us questions and doubts and fears, we can cling to one thing today. That the cross of Jesus Christ proves to us that we are loved and there is not a circumstance that cannot be transformed by the joy that is set before us. So today we move into a time of response here in a few minutes, and what I would love for you to do is to consider where you are in the present. If you are suffering, if you are hurting, bring that to God. Let today be the day that we stop pretending that we're not in deep and abiding pain. Maybe today you have heard from, from something and realize that, that maybe I am loved, that maybe I can be accepted in Jesus. And today's the first step forward in following him. But as we take this time together, I encourage you to respond. I'm going to be up front right here. We're going to have somebody in the back praying for folks back there as well. If you need prayer in your pain, in your circumstances, he's going to pray for God's joy to be received, to be experienced. Come pray or whatever you're experiencing right here in the front or in the back. We'd love to pray for you. And here a few moments after prayer, we'll be taking communion. But we want to take some specific time just to listen to what God is saying to us and respond to him. Not just to hear but to respond to what he's saying to each one of us. And so why don't we go ahead and stand and just encourage us as we're in this time to pray and to, to respond to what God is doing as we move forward. Jesus. Help us to feel that joy that through unimaginable pain took you to the cross. I thank you, God, that you are not some detached being that has never experienced the reality of our suffering, but what we experience in Christmas is that you have experienced every temptation and pain and fear that we have. You became like us to transform us so that we could be like you. So Jesus, we come to you, we offer you not what we think we are, we offer to you our reality the reality of where we really are. Thank you for not sending us away when we are hurting and questioning. Thank you for not being absent in our pain, but being present as Emmanuel. So whatever you're speaking today, as we sing this song, as we respond in prayer, whatever that may be, we come to you in grace. In Jesus' name.